right, so during the season of Lent, which began back at the end of February with Ash Wednesday and lasts up until Palm Sunday on April 5th, we have been in a teaching series we've entitled Breaking the Chains. The framing passage for this series comes from Isaiah 58 and has to do with the social dimensions of spiritual formation. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen, only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fast I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? God, speaking through the prophet, calls out God's people for reducing their worship to personal spirituality with no social dimension. God calls them out for failing to express their personal spiritual formation in public justice. I love to quote Cornell West as often as I possibly can. Justice is what love looks like in public. So in light of this corrective from God, we've been exploring the social dimensions of Lenten practice during this Lenten season. And now we're in the midst of this global pandemic that is dominating the headlines and is threatening to even dominate our lives. So this raises an important question. How are Jesus' disciples who are being formed into the image of Christ by the pattern of Jesus' life during this season of Lent called to respond to this crisis? And of course, there's many possible answers to this question. Lent invites us to examine ourselves and the ways in which we are caught up in the patterns of sin and are being malformed by them both personally and corporately. So one answer that we could examine this morning would be the way that this new virus's emergence in China has unmasked a lot of xenophobia and racial prejudice against Asian Americans. Someone recently said that COVID-19 has exposed how quickly Americans can turn on a dime from treating Asian Americans as the quote-unquote model minority to the quote-unquote yellow peril. A corporate application of Lent would call us to rebuke and reject such racism, the kind that lurks just below the surface in many American communities and is unleashed when people are afraid. Another answer to this question might be for us to examine the way that this crisis has exposed our idolatrous consumerism. Many of us have been so malformed by consumerism that when we feel threatened, we instinctively believe that we can shop our way to safety and security. I saw an article about the ultra-rich who have built luxury bunkers that they can flee to. That's a way to shop your way out of danger. But as evidenced by the many empty shelves at the neighborhood grocery store, many of us who may not be ultra-rich are nevertheless still absorbing the message every day that stockpiling supplies will be our salvation. But there is still a more fundamental 
response to which I've been sensing the Lord leading our community all week, and that is lament. If you've been a part of the Roots community for any length of time, you've probably heard me uh, emphasize lament during the seasons of Advent and Lent. And that's because I, I feel like lament is a deeply countercultural practice for North American Christians, particularly for evangelicals. And let me say something about evangelicals just for, as a side note. Um, your relationship to evangelical, la the label or the tradition is not what unites us here at Roots. I could care less, honestly. And what unites us here at Roots is our relationship to Jesus. But I do recognize that a lot of us who call Roots home have been influenced by the evangelical tradition, and some even accept that label. And so that's why I mention it here. I mention it for those reasons. But for many American Christians, not just evangelicals, lament is an especially uncomfortable practice because we are formed by this country's twin cultural forces of exceptionalism and triumphalism. American exceptionalism conditions us to believe that America is uniquely blessed by God above and beyond all other nations. And triumphalism conditions us to privilege narratives of success and victory over narratives of suffering and faithfulness during suffering, even to the point of martyrdom. For example, in his book, Prophetic Lament, Dr. Sunchan Ra points out the stark contrast between the way God's people were formed in Jesus' day and the way that many American Christians are formed today. In Jesus' day, the Psalms were the hymnal of Israel. They were the liturgical framework for worship in Jesus' day and the apostles. So, so Dr. Ra writes, Lament constitutes 40% of all Psalms, but only 13% of the hymnal of the churches of Christ 19% of the Presbyterian hymnal, and 13% of the Baptist hymnal. CCLI, Christian Copyright Licensing International, licenses local churches in the use of contemporary worship songs, like, the, like many of the songs we sang this morning. And they have a list of the top 100 worship songs, this was back in 2012, and it revealed that only five of the top 100 could, be, could qualify as a lament. Five. We are formed by the practices in which we participate, and many American Christians are primarily formed by narratives of celebration, praise, and victory. There's a strong cultural current in the American church that pulls us towards a narrative that promotes success and prosperity. We don't want to hear stories about suffering or pain or acknowledge that we failed in some way or another. This forms the way that we see the world around us, and this influences the way we view others, especially others who are suffering. Dr. Ra goes on to quote Old Testament scholar and theologian Walter Brueggemann. Brueggemann writes, The well-off do not expect their faith to begin in a cry, but rather a song. They do not expect or need intrusion, but they rejoice in stability and the durability of a world and social order that have been beneficial to them. 
This is one of the reasons why I think that Lent is so important for Christian spiritual formation, especially in the Western world. Like the season of Advent, Lent is a season that slows us down and invites us to contemplate the full range of human experiences. Not only the joy of Christ's birth, the empowerment of Pentecost, nor the celebration of Christ's resurrection at Easter, but also the longing and the deferred hope, the anguish, even the lament of these other seasons. The season of Lent invites us to slow down and resist the temptation to rush to Easter. Instead, we are allowed to sit in the tension and learn how to trust God through trials and tribulation. The quintessential crisis in the Bible was the destruction of Jerusalem, and along with it, Solomon's temple. This resulted in a mass exile of Israelites and a fundamental shift in the worship of Israel. The worship of Israel was centered in the Jerusalem temple. And if the temple is destroyed, where's God? How would God even allow the temple to be destroyed? The temple is where God lives, God's house. Many of the lament psalms are about this crisis, like Psalm 79. O oh God, the nations have invaded your inheritance. They have defiled your holy temple. They have reduced Jerusalem to rubble. Do not hold against us the sins of the fathers. May your mercy come quickly to meet us, for we are in desperate need. And of course, there's an entire book of the Bible called Lamentations that is attributed to Jeremiah that is in response to this crisis. There's an old cringy dad joke that goes like this. How do you know math is important to God? Because there's a whole book of the Bible called Numbers. Wah, 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 right? But there's a whole book of the Bible called Lamentations. And it really is about lament. Because lament is important to God. For our purposes today, and during this season of Lent, and in light of the coronavirus outbreak that threatens our lives, I think that there are three important ways, powerful ways, that we are being formed in the image of Christ through lament. The first is that lament is an acknowledgement of our essential dependence upon God. And this is easily lost in the Western world. In the Western world, and, and maybe even as human beings in general, we have a tendency to try to control the world around us, to create order out of chaos. Our instinct is to try to find solutions and solve our own problems. We have learned that all things are possible through science and technology. There's even an idiom in English, left to our own devices, which has taken on new and ironic connotations in this day and age, right? Because we're all left to our own devices now, quite literally. We've learned how to fix our own problems. There's an app for everything. An app for avoiding suffering. An app for ridding ourselves of pain. But then along comes a crisis. Maybe it's war. Maybe it's disaster. Maybe it's disease. And that, does, that crisis frees us from the illusion of control. 
We are reminded that in spite of all of our science and technology, we are still very much at the mercy of the environment. This is actually one of the things that I really hated about LA. Living in LA, what is produced in me, I'll just speak for myself, is a false sense of security. Because it's 70 to 75 degrees and mostly sunny every day. And so you feel like you're on an extended vacation all year round. In, in LA, it was very easy to uh, forget that at any moment there could be an earthquake. And in LA, an earthquake would completely disrupt your sense of calm and sense of peace because every day is like a vacation until there's an earthquake. And then you realize the ground beneath your feet can move and could possibly kill you. That's also one of the things I love about Minnesota, no earthquakes. <laughs> but in Minnesota, we are routinely reminded that we are at the mercy of the environment. It's called winter. And winter lasts like six months here, right? Nine. Nine. <laughs> the, 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 the native Minnesotans were like, uh, no, much longer than six months, sorry. But yeah, that blizzard in April, was that last year or the year before? Reminds you that, was it? Every year. <laughs> Reminds you that human beings are not designed to live this far north. <laughs> the cold, hard reality is that we aren't promised an easy life, a life free from suffering. We aren't promised even our next breath. One of the young men that I work with during the week, you all know that I work with teens on probation in, in North Minneapolis. One of, the, one of the young men that I work with this week confided in me yesterday that his older brother and he were not on speaking terms when he was brutally murdered a little bit over a month ago. And so he never had the opportunity to reconcile with his older brother before he passed away. And this prompted him to immediately reach out to his uh, older brother, second older brother, his, re his remaining brother. Because his remaining brother and he also had conflict. But what he said to his, his remaining brother was, we are not promised enough time to make up later. Lament is an acknowledgement that we are utterly dependent upon God. Some of us only come to realize this when the floor is knocked out from beneath us by suffering. But we don't have to wait until a disaster strikes to call out to God and acknowledge our desperate need for God. We don't just need God as some kind of accessory to our lives. God isn't decoration to an otherwise perfectly adequate life. God is essential, integral to our lives. And lament is the proper liturgical response to that reality. Lament is a cry from deep within our souls that we need God to make things right in the world. Lament is acknowledgement that God's dream of shalom for the world has been disrupted and God needs to put it right again. It's an acknowledgement that we can't put the world to right on our own. And it's wise and good and right to heed the warnings from infectious disease experts and utilize the tools and resources that medical professionals provide for us. That is good and right and wise. 
And hear me say with absolute no equivocation that we should avail ourselves to vaccines. Vaccines save lives, okay? So hear me say that unequivocally. But I'm gonna say this too. Science, technology, and medicine alone cannot heal the whole human being. Amen. For the healing of our whole being, our health care must be supervised by the great physician. That's not dualism. That's, re- that's a recognizing that as amazing as human beings are, and we are amazing, human beings are still limited. Science has limits. Medicine has limits. Humanity will never build a tower tall enough to reach heaven. God has come down to us. We do not need to stretch up to God. Lament is an acknowledgement of our essential dependence upon God. And lament is also a release valve for our souls. There are times in the journey of faith when we come to the end of ourselves. When we've exhausted every other means of alleviating our pain, our suffering, our anxiety. There are no other ways out of our circumstances. There are times when stress builds up in us to the point where we feel like we're going to explode. If we've been formed by the narratives of success and prosperity and all of our spiritual formation has been centered around triumphalism and exceptionalism, then we may feel ashamed of those feelings. We may hide them. We might even be tempted to bottle them up. There is even some of us who have been formed in such a way that Frustration with God is prohibited. You're not allowed to express disappointment with God. You're not allowed to express negative emotions towards God. But that isn't what we see modeled in Scripture. The people of God in Scripture have always poured their guts out to God and blamed God and called out to God for mercy and justice and rescue. Lament is a way for us to cast our cares upon God because God cares for us. And God can handle our anger. God can handle our dissatisfaction. God can handle our stress. The Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Philippi, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I heard a wise pastor once summarize that passage by saying, channel your worry into prayer. Take all of those emotions pent up inside of us and pour them out to God. Lament is a way for us to cast our cares upon God. It's also an incredibly important practice for our mental and spiritual health. Don't bottle up your emotions so that you later pour them out on each other. Pour them out on God. Because God can handle it. Not only is lament an acknowledgement of our essential dependence on God and a release valve for our souls, lament is also a way for us to identify with the suffering and to stand in solidarity with the marginalized. Often the reason why American Christians avoid lament is because many American Christians don't feel like they have anything to lament about. Our lives are pretty good. Many Christians in the United States live comfortable lives. I'll never forget when I was um, pastoring in a diverse congregation in L.A. 
And one summer, we focused on hearing each other's cultural stories. And so we, we created these culturally diverse groups. And one by one, each member of the group would just share their cultural story. We went around the circle, and each week, one person shared. When we got to the end of the group, there was a young Caucasian woman who had grown up in a wealthy family, in a moderately wealthy suburb of Los Angeles, and she had gone to private Christian schools all throughout her childhood, and then she went to a private Christian college, and she said this, after, everyone, after hearing everyone's story, she said, I'm 25 years old, and this summer is the first time in my life I've ever had to stop and think about race. And that blew me away. How could you grow up in America and get to adulthood and never stop to think about the way race colors everything in our world? But why would white Americans who live generally comfortable lives lament the ongoing dehumanizing legacy of the doctrine of discovery or, or the new Jim Crow if they've never identified or stood in solidarity with sisters and brothers of color? Why would they do it? They'd have no reason to. But lament in the book of Lamentations and in the Psalms is often corporate lament. It isn't individualistic. This cuts against our conditioning in, in the Western world. We think of lament as individualized. We don't think that we share any culpability in the sins of an entire nation. We don't think we have to repent on behalf of our ancestors. So why would we lament that others are suffering if we aren't? Lament is a way for us to be more like Jesus, who cried out from the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But Jesus was one with the Father. Jesus was one with the Father from all eternity. Jesus wasn't declaring that the Trinity had dissolved or something. Jesus was crying out as a fully human part of humanity. He was crying out as one of us. Lament levels the many inequalities in our society between the haves and the have-nots. When we lament that the world is not as it should be, that God's dream of shalom is disrupted, we lament with and on behalf of others. And in that lament, we identify with the marginalized. And we stand in solidarity with the suffering. So as we go forward in the remainder of Lent, and as we try to navigate these new circumstances that are quickly changing caused by this pandemic, let us be people who are crying out on behalf of those who are suffering. Suffering not only here in the United States, but around the world. Let us be people who do not rush to celebration or solutions, but people who are willing to sit in the tension. I want to invite us to practice some lament this morning. So if you're willing and able, um, would you stand with me? And, and I'm, I'm going to lead us in a responsive reading, a lament from the Psalms and from Lamentations and some, some personalized situations that, might, I, that we might identify with. I will read the parts that are unbolded and if we could together read the parts that are bolded. Let's pray. 
awake. Why are you asleep, O Lord? Arise, cast us not off forever. Why do you hide your face, forgetting our woe and our oppression? For our souls are bowed down to the dust. Our bodies are pressed to the earth. How long, O Lord, will you utterly forget us? How long will you hide your face from us? How long shall we harbor sorrow in our souls, grief in our hearts day after day? How long will our enemies triumph over us? Why, O oh Lord, must evil seem to get its way? We do confess our sin is deeply shameful. But now the wicked openly are scornful. They mock your name and laugh at our dismay. We know your faithful love holds true. Nothing can curse us endlessly with sorrow. Transform, Lord, this damage into good. Show us your glory hidden by this evil. Why, Lord, must he be sentenced and locked away? True, he has wronged his neighbor and has failed you. Yet none of us is innocent and sinless. Only by grace we, fo we follow in your way. We plead, repair the brokenness we share. Restore us, O oh God. Hear this lament as intercession. Make your face shine upon us that we may be saved. Why, Lord, must she be left to waste away? Do you not see how painfully she suffers? Could you not change the course of this disaster? Amaze us by your mighty signs. We plead, repair the brokenness we share. Restore us, O oh God. Hear this lament as intercession. Make your face shine upon us that we may be saved. Why, Lord, must broken vows cut like a knife? How can one wedded body break into pieces? We all have failed at being pure and faithful. Only by grace we keep our solemn vows. We plead, repair the brokenness we share. Restore us, O oh God. Hear this lament as intercession. Make your face shine upon us that we may be saved. Why, Lord, were they abruptly taken home? Why must we feel the sting of death's cold cruelty? Come quickly, Lord. Do not leave us alone. We plead, repair the brokenness we share. Restore us, O oh God. Hear this lament as intercession. Make your face shine upon us that we may be saved. Why, Lord, must any child of yours be hurt? Does all our pain and sorrow somehow please you? You are a God so jealous for our praises. Hear this lament as prayer that fills the earth. We plead, repair the brokenness we share. Restore us, O oh God. Hear this lament as intercession. Make your face shine upon us that we may be saved. Now let me pray for us. Almighty God, you are the one who sees that we have no power of our own to help ourselves. Keep us both outwardly in our bodies and inwardly in our souls, that we may be defended from all adversaries and adversities which may happen to the body and from all evil thoughts that may assault and hurt the soul. 
Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, both now and forever. Amen.